Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Members, if you'll look around you and see if there's someone next to you that doesn't have a Bible or looks like they don't have their place, if you'll be kind enough to help them find their place. That would be a blessing. Joshua chapter 5. I want to encourage you to be back tonight. We're uh, going to stop our series for a little bit here in Second Samuel and uh, have a series of messages and instruction we want to give to help us in, our, in the area of just our soul winning and discipleship and a number of practical lessons I want to give you. These are typically lessons we give on a Saturday and uh, we're going to bring this into our our Sunday night venue for the next few weeks. I think it'll be uh, something to be helpful to you, and it's going to go under the theme of fruit that remains and uh, how you can share your faith effectively with other people and help them to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we want you just to learn the joy of just communicating the gospel effectively and learning how to get people saved and into the church and watch what God is doing through that. So you'll be here tonight for that at 5.15. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, follow as I read, please. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and he said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I draw your attention to a very mysterious meeting that Joshua had. He's fulfilled three tasks and requirements. And the Bible starts off in verse 13 by saying, It came to pass as Joshua was by Jericho. He's standing there as a military strategist, as the commander over the army of God. And he meets this man, or this man comes to meet him, with a sword drawn in his hand. And I want to preach a message this morning, a very simple thought. Meet your captain. Meet your captain. And I pray this morning we would take a moment to see just what Joshua found out that day. What we need to find out today as we meet our captain. Now, Lord, today we're thankful for the choir, the orchestra, the hymn singing. Thank you for your congregation. I'm thankful that David describes the congregation of God as the great congregation. Thank you for the fellowship of believers. Thank you, Lord, for our outreach ministries, which have touched people's lives and bringing them to this church and folks who profess salvation uh, by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for Kiana and, Lord, for her baptism today. And in all these things, as we approach the morning service, I pray for a fresh anointing of God. I pray for your power this morning upon the pulpit, upon the Word of God. I pray that you speak to our hearts. Open our eyes and we may behold wondrous things out of your word today. We pray that you give enlightenment. We pray, Father, today you'll help us to make sense out of things that perhaps maybe didn't make any sense to us before. We pray the Holy Spirit would just illuminate the word in our hearts and be our great teacher today. Speak to us. We pray that the word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, would pierce our hearts today and divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrows and would be discerner of our thoughts and our hearts. We pray that you speak to us about perhaps some individual situation going on in our lives and help us to realize today that today is the most important day of our life because today you are going to speak to us about something special that you want us to do or you want us to act upon. Father, increase our faith. Lord, endue us with power and help us to be obedient. Help us to follow you and purge us this morning. Cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh that we may receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Thank you for loving us now through this message. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, our history is filled with many great military commanders. The list of name would be list of names that we find her that would be ongoing. I mean, you think about names like Charlemagne and Napoleon, 
Genghis Khan, uh, General Colin Powell, who cut, cut his, just made, became very prominent during the Gulf War. And many, many strategists like General Douglas MacArthur and, and uh, General Dwight Eisenhower. Men like that that we have through history. History is filled with the names of conquerors and leaders and men who carved their mark as being military strategists and being able to lead effectively. These men instilled confidence and faith in the lives of the soldiers that were under their command. And of course, as we think about all those men, my, my mind drifts as a pastor to uh, the military commanders found in the Word of God. And one of those military commanders we find is this man by the name of Joshua. Joshua is a great military commander. He's one that God uses very greatly. And much of Scripture is given, uh, reserved for us to understand some things about this man. And you'll notice in verse 13, Joshua is at a critical juncture as a military commander. Commanders realize that every battle, every situation is a situation that invokes great thought, great decision that they have to make on their part. And Joshua, as we'll see in chapter 5, has chapter 4 and 5, has gone through several requirements. But there's one more God wants him to go through from verses 13 to 15. The Bible says that it came to pass that Joshua was by Jericho. There was one more requirement before Jericho could be taken. Jericho represents the first city, the first conquest, the first step that Israel needed to take in order to inherit the promised land. We must remind ourselves as we look at this historically, we must also look at this practically speaking. It is a picture for you and I of the conquest God wants you and me to have in possessing our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reminder to us of how victory in Jesus Christ is obtained as we walk by faith and not by sight. This morning I want you to see how God differentiates His servant leaders from secular leaders. I want us to see this morning what differentiates God's people in victory. I want us to see what did Joshua discover? What was God teaching Joshua at this critical juncture when he met this man with the sword drawn in his hand who described himself as the captain of the Lord's host? Notice, first of all, this morning, very simply, would you notice Joshua the man? It starts off by saying here that Joshua stood by Jericho. We want to see Joshua the man. Joshua is a man in his 80s. Joshua is the successor to Moses and commissioned now to lead Israel through the land of Canaan to possess all of those different cities there for their inheritance. Joshua has crossed the Jordan River. He is on the western side of Jordan. He is on the verge of conquering Jericho. Before we go there, the scriptures put a spotlight one more time on Joshua the man. Who was this man? And as we'll see this morning, Joshua, as he comes to, we come to verse 13, is a man who has proven himself without any shadow of doubt. He's proven that he's a leader. He's proven that he's a commander. He's proven that he's a military strategist. He's proven that he can lead. We see Joshua as a man who's proven. Notice several things about him as a man. He's proven as a servant. For 40 years in the wilderness, he was known as the servant of Moses. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, we find this first mention of him that it says Moses rose up and his minister Joshua for 40 years Joshua has been in the shadow of Moses he has served Moses he's been his minister he's been right there for him he's anticipated his needs he was the go-to man he was proven as a servant he's called the minister of Moses Numbers 11 verse 28 is there in the early days after they've crossed the Red Sea it describes Joshua as the son of Nun the servant of Moses one of his young men he is proven as a servant of God. Notice something else. He's not only proven as a servant. We find that Joshua is proven as a soldier. We find the very first mention of Joshua as not only as a servant, but also as a soldier. Exodus chapter 17 verse 13 says, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Joshua is with Moses. Moses is, is, is taking the children of Israel through the wilderness. Uh, they're about to go into the wilderness. And they stop by this, this, this place where there's bodies of water. And as, as they're about ready to go on, Amalek comes from behind and attacks them from behind. Amalek attacks the elderly and the weak and the infirm. And the first man that Joshua turns to as the soldier in charge is Joshua. And he commissions him to go out and to confront Amalek with the sword. This would be his first military battle that we have a record of, but it would not be his last. Joshua would be intricately 
involved with, with Moses in terms of every battle they would have along the way. He would fight against Og. He would fight against Sihon. He would fight against the Ammonites. He would fight against the Canaanites. He is a man who proves himself as a soldier, as one who's experienced and seasoned in battle. He was a great military strategist and conqueror. He was a good soldier who endured hardness. He was proven as a servant. He was proven as a soldier, but notice something else. He also is proven in his spirit. One of the things we read about in the early days of Joshua's life is that the, that the spirit of Joshua. You know, something very important about a leader uh, as a commander is his spirit. His spirit says everything. If his spirit is down, those he leads will be down. If his spirit is up, those he leads, their spirit will be up. If he's positive, those who, who he leads will be positive. If he's negative, those who he leads will be negative. And notice we see some things about how Joshua is proven in his spirit. In Numbers 27, 18, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. Deuteronomy 34, 9 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, as did the Lord command Moses. When you read Joshua's biography through the book of Joshua, and through uh, Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see a man of remarkable spirit. He had a great spirit. The Bible says, in whom is the spirit? What kind of spirit did he have? Well, I believe he had the spirit of power. He had God's power on his life. As we find here, Deuteronomy 34, 9, I believe he had a spirit of wisdom. I believe he had the spirit of faith. I believe he had a spirit of courage. I believe he had a spirit of obedience. The Bible says, take Joshua with thee, a man, and in whom is the spirit. Oh, man, just impress one thing upon you this morning that you might have. Thank God this morning. That when he gets saved, immediately the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. He lives inside of us. He's the earnest of our inheritance, the Bible says, or the down payment and towards us. We look forward to glorification. He indwells us. He lives within us at the moment of salvation. And he becomes our teacher, teaching us and instructing us in the word of God. He is our comforter, the one who's the paraclete who comes alongside of us. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But if I can impress upon you one thing as a brother and sister in Christ, that you desire and crave more than anything, else is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, has, we, we have the Holy Spirit in us as our indwelling, but we must have the content of the Holy Spirit in terms of power for our lives. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And may you and I crave, just like Joshua, to be, have that spirit, that spirit that, that helps us to understand how we have power with God and power with man. And Joshua was a man who was proven as a soldier. He was proven as a servant. He was proven in his spirit. But notice something else that we find that, 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 that comes out to us. Go back to Joshua chapter 1, and we see that Joshua be proven as a superintendent or as a leader. God told Joshua there after Moses had died, and Israel spent their time mourning. Now the time came when the baton would be passed, and the transition would be made where Joshua would be the man. And the Bible says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now rise, therefore, ri- ri- now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. He was the superintendent. He was the leader now. He had proven himself as a servant. He had proven himself as a soldier. He had proven himself in his spirit. But now he would prove himself as the leader in charge of three million people. Joe, notice Joshua chapter 4, verse 14, after they had crossed the Jordan River, and the stones had been taken out of the river, and laid on the western shores there, the Bible says this on Joshua 4.14, on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him, as they feared Moses all the days of his life. On that day, God validated the leadership of, of Joshua. God validated that the same power that was on Moses, that opened the Red Sea, was the same power that God used to open the Jordan River. He had validated his blessing, his approval upon a man who set himself apart as a life who was blameless, who had the Spirit of God upon his life, who was proven as a soldier and proven as a servant. Now God was proving him as a superintendent.
find him. And as they crossed that Jordan River, as they recognized that God kept that riverbed dry, and the waters were held back 15 miles one end, 10 miles on the other. And as the Canaanites and others, the Ammonites, as they looked on, they watched this man get across her. And the Bible says in Joshua 4.14 that the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. They recognized that he was proven by God. May I remind you this morning, the greatest requirement of a leader is that you're proven. He had to prove himself as a capable leader. He had to prove himself as one who instilled confidence. He had to prove himself as one who had faith. Fathers and mothers, I remind you this morning, we are always in the proving process with our children. They must realize and see that God has placed his authority in our lives. And we must prove ourselves as being faithful to God and prove ourselves as being diligent Christians and honorable Christians before God. Leaders are to be proven. Acts chapter 6 verse 3 tells us in those early days of the church when the apostles were overseeing everything and the church had blossomed and grown to a size that some believe was anywhere from 25 to 50,000 people. And the Bible tells us in Acts 5.42 that they met daily in the temple and in every house teaching, preaching Jesus Christ. But you can imagine overseeing 25 to 50,000 people who wanted to know more about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in the Lord, you can realize that during that time that there were people struggles. And they experienced their first struggle there in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, where the, where the perception of the Hebrews was that their widows were being neglected in the daily ministry. And they came complaining to the, uh, to the, to the apostles by saying, well, listen, our, our widows are being neglected. Uh, food is not being distributed to them, and they're not being cared for properly. And they felt like they were being slighted, and, uh, excuse, uh, the, the Grecian widows, excuse me, and they felt like they were being slighted in, in favor of the Hebrew uh, widows. And so they're making this complaint to them. And, the, and, the, and, the, and I appreciate the spirit of the apostles. They recognized that there was an inadequacy and there was an imbalance and they needed to get this corrected. But they made one statement. They said, listen, we realize as much as this is a problem that we just can't stop the ministry of the teaching and preaching of God's word. And we just can't stop praying to minister to this need. It's not that we're not, we're, not, we're not worthy of doing it. And it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just we've got so many responsibilities. We don't know what to do. And so they did something very important important that every church must do as the church reaches new, new new pinnacles of growth as more people are added to the church they say listen we know where the problem is but we need to we need to get you involved in some of this here and they said look ye out among you seven men of honest report full of the holy ghost and full of wisdom and what they were instilling there is they said look at we've got to find men within our own congregation who meet the requirements who have already proven themselves that we can delegate this responsibility to men that can be respected men that are honest men that are winning souls men that have the fullness of the Spirit, men that are prudent, men that can make wise decisions, men that have foresight, men that have maturity. He said in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Look ye out among you seven men of honor's report. And when the apostles said that, the apostles were already thinking about men in their mind, men that had already proven themselves, who we find listed there, men like Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and men like that. But they wanted to find out that the congregation recognized the same thing, that the congregation see men that had proven themselves spiritually. You see, today, we look at the resume somewhere and we look at the fact we want to be impressed by where they went to school and we want to be impressed by where they have a job and what kind of occupation they have and we want to be impressed by their secular skill sets but the word of God has never changed in saying that it's not the skill sets it's not the education it's not the resume it's not the background that they have though those things are important what it really emphasizes the fact is this man proven as, an, as a leader before God is he proven in the power of the Holy Spirit is he proven in wisdom it says look yet among you seven men of honest repentance full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom whom we may point over this business. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.10, as it considers the office of the pastor and those of deacons, let these also be first proved. I'm thankful to tell you this morning, as we look at the man Joshua, Joshua had proven himself. He was, he, he was, he was the man for the job. He was the man for the hour. He had proven himself. And as we look at Joshua chapter 5, and we look at verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. As we look at this, uh, this subject, we look at Jericho on the horizon, five miles away from where they're at. Certainly Joshua must be the man. And certainly Joshua is well able to conquer this. And certainly the God who opened the, the, the Jordan River and across it was the God who would help him to conquer Jericho. So we see Joshua the man. But we see something else here. Notice we not only see Joshua the man, but we see Joshua in a meeting. Joshua standing by the Jericho, the city of Jericho, five miles away. He's thinking about, now how are we going to conquer this city? He sent scouts into there, and the scouts came back with a report of what the inhabitants were like, and they came back with a report, it's true, everything we've heard, this is a city that is very well fortified. 
As we get to studying about the city of Jericho in a subsequent message, we're going to learn that the city of Jericho had two walls. It had an outer wall and an inner wall. And the inner wall was on a slope. It was very, it would be very, very difficult to penetrate that city. It would be very difficult for anyone to get into that city. You'd have to conquer the outer wall first and then get to the inner wall. And then it was just a city that was impregnable as far as anybody was concerned. And they came back with this report. And Josh is looking at the city. He's thinking, I've never been to this city before. I've never conquered a city like this. I know about the Canaanites. I have fought with the Ogs and the Sihons. And you read about them there in Numbers in Deuteronomy, and he knew that the Canaanites were men that were very tall men. They were the giants of their age. They were the men who were well skilled in, in battle, and they knew about Joshua, and they knew about the Israelites. And as a military strategist, of course, he's thinking about, I don't want to lose any lives, and I don't want anybody to be killed, and I've got to be concerned about these men, their fathers and their husbands, and maybe sons. And he's concerned about, how are we going to conquer these walls? And they looked at what they had, and they didn't have any battering rams, and they didn't have TNT like we have in these days, and they didn't have any means to blow up those walls and knock them down and he's thinking about this city he's looking five miles ahead of him and he's thinking about this fact how are we going to conquer these cities how and when we if we can knock down these walls if we can get over those walls how are we going to get inside there and conquer those inhabitants he's looking at the situation and the midst of that notice verse 13 it says it came to pass when josh was by jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked now josh was looking at that city He's studying that city. He's looking back in his mind, thinking back of what has happened. He had requirements that he'd already fulfilled. The first requirement he fulfilled was a miraculous crossing. He crossed the Jordan River. He passed the second requirement. The second requirement we saw the last time we were in this passage was a mandatory cutting where God commanded him to take sharp knives and there had to be a surgical procedure. And that's a picture to us that there has to be a separation from sin, a withdrawing from sin, a separation from sin. He had a, he passed the requirement of a miraculous crossing he passed the requirement of a mandatory cutting and then notice in verse 12 the bible verse excuse me verse 10 it says the children of israel encamped in gilgal and kept the passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of jericho verse 11 and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the passover unleavened cakes and parched corn the self same day there was the miraculous crossing he passed there was a mandatory cutting that he passed there was a third requirement they sat there and there was what i call a meditated concern assumption for the very last time they would eat of that old corn of the land they would take the passover on that on there for the last time under the tent and they would look there and they would recognize that god has something bigger and mightier in store they would eat that old corn of the land and, and the remaining manna because from that point on god would take care of them through the land of canaan he's met all these requirements they're thinking about the lord god is on their thoughts god is on their mind they're thinking about the miracle of passing the jordan and god wanted this to be so etched in their minds is so embedded in them. But there was another requirement that God had for him. And in this requirement, notice God has a man that comes to him. And the Bible says in verse 13 that this man comes to him and he looks, lifts up his eyes and he looks and behold, there stood a man over against him with this sword drawn in his hand. If you can imagine the picture with me. This man is standing away from Joshua. The Bible describes it. He's over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. This man is looking as a military man. He's looking as a soldier. He's standing over against him. And as Joshua looks at him, he's really not sure who this man represents. He's not really sure what he's all about. He just knows one thing. This man is over against him. He's standing there that he's ready to go to battle. He's standing there as if he's going to lead a charge. And he's wondering, what is this man all about? And he asks the question, is this man for me or is he against me? And notice the intrigue here. There's intrigue in Joshua's mind. The Bible says, Behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him, and he said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He stood there looking at this man, wondering what this is all about. This man was a soldier. This man stood as a commander. But in his mind, he didn't recognize the man. He's thinking, Who is this man? What is this man all about? Why is he here? What does this man represent? What is he here for? The suggestion here of this man standing there was this man was either for him or this man was against him. And Joshua saw this man. He realized before Jericho could be conquered, this man is right before me. Now, either I've got to go through this man or this man is with me. He's not really sure what it is. And Joshua's a little bit apprehensive because this, this was not in the, this was not in the book of instructions as far as everything God told him. And this man comes and he's wondering, what's this all about? So 
Joshua is filled with intrigue. Who is this man? So Joshua has the interview. Notice again verse 13. This man stands there with the sword drawn in his hand. And notice the man, Joshua is thinking, well, I hope this man comes to me. The man doesn't come to Joshua. Joshua has to go to the man. You want to write that down. The man doesn't come to Joshua. Joshua has to go to him. And so Joshua is waiting in. And I just imagine there's a standstill here for just a minute, for maybe for several minutes, maybe for even as much as an hour. There's a standstill there. And Joshua, of course, is a great military commander in his own. But he looks at this man who gives representation by his appearance with a sword drawn in his hand that he's ready for battle. He's ready to lead a host of men with him. And he doesn't know who this man is, but he realizes that this man is not coming to him. So Joshua makes his way over to this man. And Joshua goes to him in verse 13. And he says, Art thou for us or against us? You've got to remember at this moment, Joshua's been the man. Joshua's been the man that's been proven. Joshua had proven himself that God was for him. God had proven to those people, those two and a half million people, they had the validation, the approval of God on his life. As far as the people are concerned, and maybe in Joshua's own mind, they were thinking, we're well able to overcome Jericho. We can do Jericho in the same power that we have when we cross it. And they, they thought, well, maybe this will, we can conquer Jericho without praying about it. And maybe we can conquer Jericho the same way we conquered Jordan and we, and we did all these other things that were done here. They're thinking that in their mind as he goes to this man, he asks the question, art thou for us or thou for our adversaries? He is not a novice when it comes to fighting battles. But something about this man standing there invoked in his mind, I've got to go to this man. I've got to find out what he's all about. And as he goes to the man, what you notice, he has a confrontation. He passed these other requirements. But this fourth requirement was a requirement of confrontation. It was a requirement to find out what is this all about. You see, the requirement of the miraculous crossing was a principle God wanted to instill to him. And that principle was, with Without God, you have no power. The requirement of the mandatory cutting was this, that there must be separation from sin. The requirement of the meditated consumption was we must be filled with the Word of God and we must be filled with the Spirit if we're going to conquer. But notice this last one, this is mysterious confrontation. Is this man for me or is this man against me? Who is this man? You see, this morning as we consider all of these things, at critical junctures of our lives, God comes to us. In those critical junctures of our life, we face a man just like, like Joshua did. I'm reminded this morning of the scriptures how often there were critical junctures in people's lives. I think of a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob was at a critical juncture in his life. He spent 20 years in, in, in a land called Padanarum. And there at Padanarum that he got his wives and he got his children. But it was time for him to leave. And he sent some messengers ahead to ask him about his brother Esau. Because the last thing we remember about his brother Esau 20 years before was that Esau hated him and Esau wanted to kill him. And the report that he gets back from these messengers is that, oh yes, your brother Esau is coming to meet you. And he has 400 armed soldiers with him. And Jacob is besides himself because he realizes he cannot go back to his father-in-law. And he knows that he's concerned about going forward. And he's worried about this. And he sends the children ahead and his wives ahead. And he crosses a brook called the Brook Jabbok. The Brook Jabbok was a tributary that flowed into the Jordan River. And there the Brook Jabbok that night, it was just, it was just Jacob. And him, uh, by himself. And there while he was alone, the Bible says there met him a man. Now he didn't know who the man was, but the Bible says that man wrestled with him through the night. And there at that place called Peniel, he wrestled with this man and he had a confrontation with this man. We read about Jacob who had this confrontation. We read about another man in, in Judges chapter 6, a man by the name of Gideon. At that time, Israel had fallen into gross, gross idolatry and was far from God. And God had raised up the Midianite people to, as to chasten the nation of Israel. And they had uh, basically wiped out all their crops and wiped out all their agriculture. And as they did so, they were very concerned as to how they're going to survive. And, and, the guy, and there's this young man by the name of Gideon. And uh, he was of the smallest tribe there of the nation of Israel. And Gideon was there threshing wheat behind the wine press of his father so that no one would see him. And this mysterious man comes to him and he calls him a mighty man of valor. And there, this man Gideon, who's scared and fearful and wondering what was coming next, was wondering, why did this man come to him? And why does he call me a mighty, valiant man? I think about after the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the, tent, uh, from the dead, that two men were walking the road to Emmaus. As they did so, the Lord Jesus Christ came alongside of them. But they didn't know there was the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as they were concerned, he was just another man, a stranger that came alongside of them and spoke with them along the way. And that whole day, they conversed about things. And the Bible describes it this way, that the 
their hearts burned within them as he spoke to them. Listen, there comes a time when, when a man, when God has a man that comes to you. He comes to you in a very distinct way, in a very definite way to speak to you, to confront you about something. I think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Bible describes that he had a wonderful experience. He says there met me, he said there met him a man who came to him one day and took him up to the third heaven and he said he saw things that were indescribable that with the tongue you could not describe what was going on. And of course in Paul as we read 2 Corinthians 12, he writes about, oh what a wonderful experience. I'm the only man uh, that really, that's lived here on planet earth that really has an idea that's living here right now that had an idea of the third heaven and had, had a glimpse of that. And he became a little proud, perhaps a little bit arrogant in his way and there met him that man and then later on Paul would be, what would, would receive a, what he calls a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan buffeting him. And we're not really sure what it is. Many people believe that perhaps it was failing eyesight. It may have been glaucoma or macular degeneration or something of that nature that had with his eyesight. But whatever it was, he had failing eyesight. And there at that moment of time, he was met by this man and he realized that there was a confrontation. Brother and sister in Christ, I declare to you this morning that every one of us has a critical juncture in life where there's a special meeting where God needs to meet with you. There comes a time when God meets with us to help us realize that if we're going to go forward, if we're going to conquer Jericho, if we're going to claim our inheritance, we cannot do it based on past victories. We cannot do it based upon our power. We cannot do it based upon our resume. We cannot do it based upon what we've proven ourselves in the past. We must realize that a critical meeting like Jacob had at Peniel, like Paul had at that time in 2 Corinthians 12, like Gideon had there at the at the wine press with Father, and just right here at the, at the Jordan River with Joshua, there comes a time when we must have a meeting. We see Joshua the man. We see Joshua's meeting, but notice we see Joshua and his master. And here we find that Joshua finds out the reason why this meeting occurs. May I say this morning, I'm talking to somebody today, you're at a crossroads in your life. There's a decision you need to make. I may be talking to somebody this morning, you're going through a trial or difficult time. You're wondering, Lord, are you for me? Or are you against me? It might be this morning, you're here and you're not saved. You don't know what it means to be born again. You're not sure you're going to heaven. And just like Saul, who became Paul, Saul, who was on the road to Damascus, carrying letters that had been signed off for the arrest and the capture of Christians there in Damascus, Assyria. And along the way, as he was making his way there, there shined a light from heaven and knocked Saul off his horse. And as he fell off that horse, he was on his back, and he's on his back, he recognized a voice that was clear and distinct, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? It might be that the Lord is speaking to you. This might be today a time where God is coming here to Heritage Baptist Church, and He is here to meet you, to get us off our high horse, and get us off our hobby horse, and to get us to realize it's the Lord speaking to us. It's not a man speaking to us. There's something God wants us to do for His glory today. It might be that God wants to, is speaking to you about getting saved today. It might be that God is speaking to you that there's something great He wants to do, but you've got to realize there's one more requirement along the way. Yes, you've passed the test of crossing the Jordan. And yes, you've passed the test of the cutting of the flesh. And yes, you've passed the test of eating of the old corn of the manna. Yes, you've passed the test, but there's one more requirement. There's one more requirement. And you notice He asked the question in verse 13, 14, He says, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the answer given to him in verse 14, notice, he says, Nay, but as captain of the hosts of the Lord, am I now come? And when he heard that, it put Jake, it put, it put Joshua in his place. I am the captain of the Lord's hosts. I'm the captain of the Lord's armies. I represent the hosts of heaven. Joshua, you've got a great army, but this army can't do it without me. Joshua, you need the armies of heaven. 
You need that invisible host, which is innumerable, that you don't understand. That innumerable host that fights with, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, those, those powers above that we have no, we have no knowledge or concept about except for what scripture tells us. And he says, listen, you may have the men and you may have the manpower, but you need more than manpower. You need God's power. Amen. You need God's power in your life. You need the Spirit's power. You need God's enablement. If you're going to conquer Jericho there, and this man says, nay, as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come. He said, listen, I've come so that you might realize I've come for you. I've come with you. I've come to help you. And there Joshua has met his master. Joshua uncovers at that moment that this man who's come has come to lead the way. You see, the final requirement was one that required capitulation or submission. This final requirement was this requirement of submission. I want to know, Joshua, you've won some battles. And I want to know, Joshua, you've established yourself as the proven superintendent. And I want to know, Joshua, as the general of over the host of Israel, and as the leader who succeeded Moses, and the one who's helped them cross the Jordan River. I just want to know, Joshua, are you puffed up in yourself? Do you believe that the power is in you, or do you believe the power is in God? I just want to know before we take Jericho. I just want to know before all the Canaanite cities can be taken, will you submit to me? Are you completely and totally submissive to me and my power and my authority as God in your life? And there he met his match, and he met his master, because there, pre-incarnate, was the Lord Jesus Christ. The captain of the Lord's host is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The captain of the Lord's host is Jesus coming in his fullness and his power. He's saying, Joshua, I just want to know, will you submit to me? Listen, church, when this church started, we started without any buildings. Without any buildings, we met in downtown Oakland and we really didn't know how we were going to get it done. And we found a very suitable place, a very beautiful auditorium. What did he say? I'd love to take a bunch of you and a couple buses just to kind of, we walk where we were at down there, downtown Oakland, a nice, nice street there in Oakland and the beautiful Asian cultural center with the hardwood floors and, and the seats and all that just to relive the experience of the history that God did there. And it went from that point where God led us to another location in Oakland and we still didn't own a building to where God led us over here and God helped us to acquire this building when we didn't have money we were baptist and broke and we're still baptist and broke amen and we didn't have the money to get the job done but god enabled us to get this building and we just kind of wondered as we acquired this property at 20 22,000 square feet of building space and we had more rooms and we had people and we just thought well my, maybe this will help us after a period of time and then by 2007 as the church was growing we worked on a master site plan that we submitted to the city of san leandro and said city would you tell us if we can do a three-fold expansion there and the city reviewed the plan with us there and told us we couldn't build. They said well, they wouldn't let us build. We couldn't build. And we felt like at that moment of time, after having spent $70,000 on architectural fees and revisions, things like that, we kind of wondered, what are we going to do with the situation? And then six months to the day that they declined us, six months to that day, six months later, they came back unsolicited and called us. And they said, Pastor Fong, we just want to let you know, we've reconsidered those plans and we're going to let you build. We're not going to let you build a two-phase, a three-phase plan, but to let you build a two-phase plan. And God started that process so we can start expanding. And you saw what happened in 2013, 2014. The, the heritage, this Heritage Center went into what was constructed along the way for seven or eight years. We raised up funds, maybe six years. We raised up funds and this building got built and we get to enjoy on a hot day, air conditioning. Say amen to that, amen. We get to be in a hot a, a building where there's air conditioning. Maybe a little bit too cold for some, but thank God we've got some air coming in, amen. And uh, we, God gave us this building. It's been a wonderful building where decisions have been made and people are getting saved and just a, a gathering place and for many, many things. And, and then we decided that because we, we were, were this window period where the second building needed to be constructed or we had to go through the permitting process again that uh, we went ahead by faith and stepped out and you as a church responded and we've given and have given and we'll still keep on giving and we'll tell you about some other uh, programs we believe will be very manageable that will help us towards that but God's helping us to get this new educational building up and here's what's going on we have shown along the way that as a church that's almost 20 years old that we've shown along the way that we've proven ourselves we've proven that we can rally together we've proven that we can go out and, and train people to win souls We've proven that we can raise up teachers to teach. We've proven that we can build a choir. We've proven that we can get some orchestra members. We've proven that we can build a membership. We've proven we can go forward in different ways. And there were years ago, we didn't have a Spanish-speaking department. And thank God for Spanish-speaking members of our church and trying to reach Spanish-speaking folks for the Lord. And thank God many of them were here yesterday to help win souls for Christ. And thank God that though we don't, we, did, we really weren't sure what to do. We have a Chinese-speaking ministry. And we have a, we have, thank God for our English-speaking ministry, which is reaching to folks and all of these things and our missions program. You know, 
we, we, we look back and we say, man, we've proven we can get these things done. And it's very easy for us to put the cap on like Josh and think as we study the next Jericho, we think, well, we've proven we can do it this way. Maybe we could do it again. And I remind you this morning that as we come to critical junctures, and we're at one right now as a church, we must remind ourselves that God still needs to lead the way. God still needs to lead us. God still is in charge. It's still God's church. It's still God's message. It's still Jesus that needs to be glorified. It's still Christ that needs to be magnified. And we have to recognize this morning, it's not about what we can do. It's all about the fact, can God, will we let God do what He wants to do best to your life and mine? And that's what God was doing here with Joshua. He's saying, Joshua, I am the captain of the Lord's host. That word captain is kind of an interesting word. That's the meaning of someone who's in total charge. Someone who's all-powerful. And whose orders must be quickly and totally obeyed. As captain of the Lord's host, am I now come? The Lord wants us to see this morning this fourth requirement that Joshua has. The importance of Submission. You see, this morning we need to be able to say with all of our hearts, Jesus is captain. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. Jesus is the one who's preeminent above all. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 says, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I'm going to tell you this morning, there's going to be a time in eternity, Christian, where all of us are going to bow our knees and confess our tongue, Jesus is Lord. Amen? There's going to be that time in eternity. But I would declare to you this morning in this service, on Sunday, June 24th, it would be a good idea for us to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord right here in the service. Amen? To acknowledge He is Lord, that He's Lord of the service. He's Lord of the music. He's Lord of the agenda. He's Lord of the message. He's Lord of the buildings. He's Lord of our lives. Listen, we can't cut our lives and say, well, you know, you can have this much, Lord, and I'll have this much. Listen, He's either Lord of everything or He's Lord over nothing. He must be Lord. He must be in charge. He must be in control. The bottom line for every one of us this morning is to declare as God confronted Joshua. Joshua, I just want to make sure. Are you still acknowledging that I'm captain? Will you still acknowledge that I'm Lord? You've proven what you can do. You've, you've got some battle scars to show it. And you've got some things you can show historically that you've seen some miracles. But are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in me? Our words need to be like that of King Abiah who said in Second Chronicles thirteen twelve, And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. And we need to say like Abiah, oh, God himself is for us as our captain. As we close, let me just give you some things you can apply today and we're done. May I give you just three very simple thoughts about God being your captain. Number one, He must be captain in our service. Look at verse 14. The Lord Jesus Christ has made Himself known to Joshua. He's pre-incarnate. He says, as the captain of the host of the Lord... Am I now come? Now remember, Joshua's a commander. And Joshua's been validated. And Joshua's a leader. And as far as the children of Israel are concerned, who, by the way, were watching at a distance what Joshua's response would be to this confrontation. The Bible says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And he said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? He must be captain of our service. Can I ask you a question this morning? For those of you who are involved in ministry, those of you who have people that subordinate to you or report to you, do they see you as a leader who serves? Do they see you as a praying leader? Do you see that do they see you as a worshiping leader? Do you see it? Do they see you as a leader who has a hunger and thirst for God? Will humble himself before God? Or do they see you as a leader who's functioning as a boss with a CEO mentality instead of a serving mentality? I'm saying this morning, we look at, we look at Joshua. He, he says here, he must, Jesus Christ must be captain in our service. Look at Joshua again in verse 14. He fell on his face to worship this captain. 
brother and sister in Christ, and I speak to everybody in the room this morning. We're all here to worship God. We're here to give Him glory and honor. Jesus said God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. But can I ask you something this morning? Are you also worshiping God through service? Because one of the greatest opportunities we have to demonstrate our worship of God is through the service of the Lord. And I'm not talking about you being a full-time in full-time ministry. I'm just talking about just, do you have a ministry involved with? Are you exercising your spiritual gift? Not your, not your physical gift. I'm talking about a spiritual gift that God has given to exhort and build up the body of Christ. Are you coming alongside of me and just saying, pray to her? It shows how we can be a help to the church and a minister effective to the church. And here's Joshua. He recognized that moment that in his mind he's looking at Jericho thinking, well, I can conquer it. And then God comes to him and gives him a wake-up call. And as he sees the Lord, he realizes, man, God's in my presence. And he bows on his face. He says, what saith my Lord to thy servant? Listen, when Saul became Paul, when he was on his back, he looked up and he said, who art thou, Lord? And as he realized it was the Lord, he says, I am Jesus whom thou, whom thou, whom thou kickest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Immediately after that, we see in between there... The Saul got his conversion, he got saved, he got washed in the blood. And his very next question he asked was this, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And I think the question we should ask at the end of every message, the question we should ask at the time we have our devotions and read our Bibles, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And you know what we find ourselves doing? As we learn the robes, as we read our Bible, as we know the 66 books of the Bible, we can quote chapter and verse. You know what we find ourselves doing? Instead of saying, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord, we ask this question, we, we say this, well, Lord, I think I'll do this. God is not interested in hearing what we think we should do. God is interested in you and I asking the question, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And I would declare to you this morning, that would be a good question for us to ask as we worship God this morning. If we're not busy serving God, there's a deficiency in our worship, and we're missing out on something in terms of God blessing work in our hearts. And I just want to tell you this morning, every person here can serve the Lord. Every person here can be involved. Every person here can do something for Jesus Christ today. And there we find Joshua. He recognized, yes, I'm in general, but there's a bigger general than me. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, what sayest thou, my Lord, unto thy servant there? He must be captain in our service. But notice something else here. He must also be captain in our sanctification. Now, the word sanctification, as we've talked about, the crossing of the Jordan River is a picture of sanctification, not salvation. The crossing of the Red Sea is a picture of salvation. And sanctification is a word that also means holiness. It means to be set apart. After you get saved, there's sanctification. You don't have a choice to matter, neither do I. God sets us apart. And God recognizes that, God has given us His word to help us recognize that He sets us apart to live for His glory. Sometimes it's called holiness, sometimes it's called separation, but the truth of the matter is, God sets us apart because God wants us to draw closer to Him, not farther from Him. Listen, that's the whole essence of good relationships. Good relationships are so that you draw closer to one another, not farther away from one another. That's what marriage is all about. Marriage is not meant the husband and wife become distant from each other. They're to grow closer to each other during that time. And listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a local New Testament church setting, we ought to be growing closer to one another, not farther from one another. And so the Lord speaks to us here as in this passage of scripture as he speaks to Joshua look at verse 15 the question is asked what saith my lord unto his servant now Joshua's there remember he's, he's under the disciplines of, of, of the military command and he's thinking well he's going to tell me to get these men in hundreds and get these men in thousands and then we're going to we're going to probably do all these things and we're going to how we're going to conquer the the, 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 Jericho, the city of Jericho that's not what God wanted him to hear And you notice what happens here. He asks, what do you want me to do, Lord? And in verse 15, this is the answer. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. You know what he wanted Joshua to recognize? He says, Joshua, don't get caught up in what you do for me. Get caught up with the worship of me. Now remind us this morning, for many of us who are very busy, very busy, actively serving, God is more concerned about your walk with Him more than He is about your work for Him. 
Because we can get so caught up with working that work can become our idol, our idol instead of realizing it's about the relationship we have with the Lord. So what's he telling? Loosen thy foot, thy, thy shoe from off thy foot. What's he telling him there? Well, you know this. If you go to people's homes and most homes you go to, the first question you should ask, hopefully you're asked the question is, should I take off my shoes? And you should take off your shoes. Why? Because wherever you walk, you're walking on all kinds of just yucky stuff there, right? And there's disease and all kinds of stuff on your shoes. So out of, out of, uh, politeness and courtesy to the home you're going into you take your shoes off so you don't bring any of the dirt in there watch what god is saying here he says listen you've had those sandals on and you've had contact with this world the filth this world what i want you to do is take that shoe off and i want you to feel with your bare foot the ground i want you to feel the grains of sand against your feet i want you to get a sense that the ground you're on is holy i want you to get a sense of fact of what it means to have a holy relationship with god now watch this sometimes we've got to take off the facade and sometimes we've got to take off the old clothing, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. We've got to take some of those things off and sense that God's holiness must be felt. And I'll tell you this morning, what makes a worship experience at church great is when we take some things off, the baggage we carry into church, we need to take it off and just let the Lord put some things on our hearts. Amen? And let God speak to our hearts accordingly there. And you watch right, right, what's going on here. He says, loosen thy shoe from off thy foot. Now, he told Josh to do something as a military commander that was not very wise. Because as a military commander, you would not normally take your shoe off because you're always ready to go to battle. But it wasn't a battle that he was here for. It wasn't about a battle. It was about having a confrontation with God and meeting with the Lord. He was asking him to do something that was uncomfortable. Listen, sometimes when God tells us to take something off that we've lived with and that's been a problem to us, it's a little bit uncomfortable for us. But notice this. He says, the place where thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua obeyed him because he realized sanctification, the, my walk with God, my relationship with God, I need to protect it. I need to be very careful that my relationship with God is unimpaired. The Asian countries in northern Europe, there's a little animal called the ermine. If you know anything about the ermine, it has, it's snow white in its fur. And the ermine does everything it can to protect its fur from contamination, defilement, and dirt. It hates anything like that getting on it. And trappers learned along the way that if they wanted to catch an ermine, because the ermine is very prized for its, 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 uh, its fur and so forth, they learned along the way that the best way of catching ermine is waiting until the ermine comes out of its den, which is typically in the den of the rocks. As the ermine makes its way out, they take some filth and some dirt and some very nasty stuff and they put it around the, about the outside of that cave where the ermine is. And as they, they chase the ermine, they set the dogs loose to chase it. The ermine starts screwing its way to make its way back to the cave. But it smells and it sees this dirt and this filth and this terrible stuff around the outside of its den. And the ermine, to protect its fur, will not go inside. The ermine is more concerned about protecting its fur than it is about its safety. And as a consequence of that, the ermine will be captured captured by those dogs and captured by those fur hunters because the ermine is more concerned about its purity than its own life. It reminds you this morning what Joshua's doing there is a testimony to you and me that the greatest thing we want to protect is our testimony, our walk with God, our sanctification. He must be captain of our service. He must be captain of our sanctification. But notice one more thing. He needs to be captain over our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says this, verses 9 and 10, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Listen to verse 10. For became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now the word captain, you circle that there. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 12. And verse 2 tells us the following. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and circle the word author. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now watch this. The word captain in Hebrews 2.10 is the same word that's used for, uh, the same word author that's used in Hebrews 12.2. It means this. Jesus is the source of salvation. Jesus is the only means of salvation. He's the leader of salvation. 
salvation. He's the instigator of salvation. He's the originator of salvation. Only through Jesus Christ can you be saved through your sin. You cannot be saved through good works. You cannot be saved through a different road. The word, the, the, this world is trying to find many different roads to Jesus. We call that pluralism. They try to find different ways to Christ. But I declare to you this morning, the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Listen this morning. There is not another road. There is only one road. There is only one way. And that way is God's Son, Jesus Christ. He must be the cap of your salvation. If you want to be sure you're going to heaven, if you want to make sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven's your home, you must decide today that Jesus Christ is the only way. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Pilate, a single-engine plane, was going over the jungle area of Africa. And he'd been warned about the turbulence and the air currents to be very careful. If you drop too low at a descent, or throw your plane out of whack, and you might wind up making a descent that will lead to a crash. And being unfamiliar with that area, he was flying his plane, and unbeknownst to him, he hit one of those turbulence areas. He had a turbulence moment. And for whatever reason, this very experienced pilot lost control of his plane. And his plane wound up spiraling downwards and crashed. Amazingly, the man survived the plane crash. He's trying to get himself all entangled out of there. A man had watched the plane as it made its descent down and was concerned whether or not this man had made it. This was a native man to that particular area that lived in a village very close by. And he made his way over to the pilot and he found the man there. And he had a few bruises and scratches, but nothing broken. And he saw that man there and helped him out of there. And the man was very thankful that somebody saw him. And he said, well, we've got to find our way out. And the pilot, instead of asking this man what, which way to go, he started to make his way. But he started realizing there's all this bush country and, and bushes and things like that. And he went one way and got lost, went another way and got lost. And the, and the man that was from the village nearby just kept following him along the way. And finally, this pilot was very frustrated with himself. He said, sir, where's the road? Where's the road? Can you show me the road? I need to find the road out. And to which that native chuckled and says, sir, there is no road. I'm the way. If you follow me, I'll show you the way out of here. And I remind you this morning that there is no other road. Jesus Christ is the way. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to decide today that you must confess that you're a sinner, that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead. And listen this morning, you can be saved from all your sins. Joshua was at a crossroads as we close. Out thou for us or for our adversaries. You may be at a crossroads. And the captain of the Lord's host comes to you at this critical moment. Will you submit to him? Will you follow him? Will you let him be captain of your service? Will you let him be captain in your sanctification or being set apart for him, your Christian life? And lastly, will you let him be captain in your salvation? If you're not saved this morning, if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, I invite you today to call on the name of the Lord to save you from your sins. That's Christ to work in you, to follow Him as the way, the truth, and life. Christian friend, today would be a great day to just acknowledge your submission, your acquiescence to the Lord in His leadership for your life. Father, today, thank You, Lord, for this uh, passage of Scripture that shows us Joshua at a critical juncture of his life, thinking he could conquer Jericho on his own until, Lord, You came to him and reminded him that without You... That, that would not be possible. I'm certain this morning there's some brothers and sisters here today who are at a crossroads. They're facing a trial. They're facing a difficulty. They're trying to think through the, the strategy and the processes and what they're going to do and having an A list and a B list. And realize this morning that with God, there is no plan B many times. Just a plan A. Will you trust me? Will you submit to me? This morning is this passage is spoken to us. Would you help brothers and sisters today in the church to just submit? To be in submission to your leadership? To follow the Lord all the way? To say, Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, your captain. Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, I want you to be captain of my service. 
Jesus, I want you to be captain in my walk with you. Jesus, I want you to be captain in my worship. I pray this morning that brothers and sisters today would acknowledge the Lord in that way. And then, Lord, today, maybe someone here is not saved. And they need to recognize that we need to look to Jesus for our faith and look to Jesus for our salvation. I wonder this morning, is there someone here today that maybe the Lord's spoken to you that you need to be saved? And I wonder this morning as I give this invitation, is there someone here today that would be honest by the raising of your right hand to say, Pastor Fong, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know, would you pray for me? Is there someone like that today? God has spoken to you. You're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, but you want to know. And you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know. Anyone like that? I'll pause just a moment. Anyone like that this morning? I want to know for sure. Christian friend, is Christ captain overall? Is he in charge? Or are you still butting heads with the Lord? Is there a fight going on? Are you, are you looking at the Lord and saying, are you for us or for our adversaries when he's for you? Because the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Why don't you acquiesce? Why don't you submit? Why don't you take a moment where you're seated to kneel down where you're seated? Remain seated when others stand to say, Lord, I just want you to know you're in control. Or take that bold step and come forward to the altar and say, Lord, I just need some time. Come with your husband. Come with your wife. Come with your children. Come with your friend. Or maybe even come and say, Lord, I just want you to know, Lord, that I'm in submission to you. And there's no question about that. So we give the invitation. We invite you to come. Whatever your decision, you come right now. Father, bless the invitation for your glory. May you just have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. If you need to come this morning, you come right now. We're not going to sing. The pianist can play. If you need to come this morning, I invite you to come. Would you come this morning? What does God need us to submit to? We've proven we can get the job done in the past. We've proven other things. But what is it God wants you to know? Are you at a critical crossroads in your life? What is it God needs you to do? You're trying to solve your marriage problems in your power? How about give it to the Lord? You're trying to solve your career problems, your job situation in your power? How about coming to the Lord? Would you let the Lord know this morning? Let Him have His way today. Come this morning. Several have come. Would you come this morning? If you can't move out this way, kneel down where you're, where you're at. Sit where you're seated. But take some time this morning to let the, know, Lord, the Lord know that you're submitting to Him. Is He captain of our service? Is He captain in our sanctification? And if you're not saved today, I urge you today, make Him captain of your salvation. Would you do that this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for this passage. If nothing else, it points us to the fact Christ must be Lord over all. I pray this hour you'll help us with that struggle that goes on with every heart, that we'd recognize, Lord, you are for us. But, Lord, the first thing we must do is recognize we are your servant. And as your servant, we must loosen our shoe from off our foot. We must realize that, Lord, you're more concerned about our relationship and our walk with you more than anything else. Father, have your way, we pray. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you today for decisions that have been made. We pray for all these things now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. We want to get you caught up with the Connect video on just some upcoming things about the church. I urge you to be back here tonight at 5.15 for our evening service to just be encouraged the Lord. And Or maybe you have someone that you want to introduce to the church. Sunday night's a great way to do that. We start a new series tonight that I, I pray will be encouraged and help. If you're interested in knowing more to be a more proficient and effective uh, soul winner and how to communicate the gospel, come for these next few Sunday nights. That'll be a blessing to you. And then, closing our service after the connection video is uh, Brother Chardon uh, Kenyon and Brother Chardon and his wife, uh, Christine, have been up here. Their brother Irwin's uh, brother, brother-in-law and sister visiting with us. He spoke for our, our graduation banquet for our high schoolers and college students this past uh, Friday night. Did a great job. God worked in our midst. I'm going to ask him to come and close us in prayer. My wife and I will be in the back after closing prayer to shake your hand and meet you. If you're a visitor and guest, we would enjoy the honor of shaking your hand and getting a chance to meet you. Let's show that Connect video.